Well, praise the Lord for His mercy. Uh, great singing. What a, what a wonderful song. Jim, I'll always remember where we were when we first heard that song sitting in, in Louisville, and that's just such a meaningful praise that we've been able to sing together. And in fact, the psalm that we'll look at today, a prompt to praise indeed is, is God's abundant mercy that He has demonstrated on us. So our focus will be in Psalm 112. I've really tried to throw you off today. Uh, your scripture reading, Psalm 111. I'm sure you were convinced of a, a typo in the bulletin, but in fact, our sermon text will be Psalm 112. I believe that will become abundantly clear why, as these two psalms very much parallel one another and, and reflect some wonderful truths as you interact with both psalms. So, we will be in Psalm 112, and if you started turning there, that it's unfair that I have not told you yet that we are going to begin elsewhere. So Psalm 112, the sermon, but let's begin in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 17, there's something very interesting that takes place that's going to help us wrap our minds around a very common theme in Scripture throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, and that is the fear of the Lord. It's going to begin our, our psalm, and Psalm 112, and what I, I hope is that in our time that we spend together, we will think carefully about this issue of fear of the Lord, maybe even able to leave here with a better understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. And I actually think that beginning in Second Kings chapter 17, that that might actually introduce us to a pretty significant reality in regards to the fear of the Lord. So if you're turning in your Bibles, uh, 2 Kings precedes uh, 1 Chronicles, um, and uh, I'm going to begin in verse 24. We're kind of just dropping in on a moment in Israel's history. This is that Assyrian exile, and something very interesting happens in this section, beginning in verse 24, and I'll likely read through verse 29. So, so follow along as I read, and the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go. And dwell there and teach them. Teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Well, we can go ahead and stop there. We'd benefit from thinking on the surrounding context here, but what you're seeing is that, that this Assyrian king has sent Residents from Babylon, 
from these other cities, and he has sent them to dwell in Samaria. And as they, they move into this, this land, they are not living in accordance with God's law. Uh, they do not fear the Lord, is even what is described of these Assyrians, uh, of these um, non-Israelites. And so they, they live in Samaria, in this northern kingdom of Israel, yet they don't live like the Israelites, and they are judged for it. In fact, since they don't fear God, you see what God does. God sends lions. This is um, not the only place where God sends lions to execute his justice. And so these lions have killed uh, those who dwell in this land. Some of them were killed. So what is the response of these individuals that do not fear the Lord when some in their company are being killed by lions? Well, their response is fear, and it's, it's fear uh, of the God who sent these lions. And so this king's solution, what do I do about this unfortunate circumstance that is developing here? And so he, you see the decision that is made in verse 27, he commands that they send there one of the priests who was exiled from Israel. So you, and, uh, a priest is to go back into Samaria and he is to teach them. Look at what he is to do. The priest is carried back, let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. Well, why I think this is a helpful introduction to our study is because we're gonna, we're gonna wanna think carefully about what it means to fear the Lord. And I think there's just this assumption, maybe it, that part of what is true about the fear of the Lord is all that is true of the fear of the Lord. And I think what we're going to see is there's very much more a comprehensive reality to what we mean by fear of the Lord. Because here in 2 Kings, you have a group of people who do not fear the Lord, yet you do see them responding in fearful terror of the Lord for the lions that he has sent their way. And the solution that is given for uh, how to deal with these non-God-fearers is to teach them the fear of the Lord. Well, it doesn't end up working out well for them because what they do is they kind of take some of what they hear and they keep some of what they love. And so they kind of syncretize their, their faith. They have pagan worship mixed in with, with um, worship of the one true God and uh, that was an offense to God. But the, the point that I want to make from this as an introduction is, as we talk about the fear of the Lord, it is certainly more than just terror. Um, and we also see that fear of the Lord is something that must be learned because the Assyrians needed to be taught in order to think rightly about the fear of the Lord. So 2 Kings 17, I believe, illustrates this in order to understand the fear of the Lord, it must be learned. This happens elsewhere in the scriptures. Uh, you don't have to turn to these, but Deuteronomy chapter 4 says something very similar in regards to the need to be taught in order to learn the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 10 says, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth that they may teach their children so. So they have to be taught 
They need to hear his words in order that their right response might be to learn in order that they might fear the Lord. So Deuteronomy 4 reminds us that the fear of the Lord must be learned. And so just this awareness is helpful as we begin today because we're looking at a concept that is so, um, it, it's throughout the scripture. It's, it's everywhere in the scriptures. It, it begins in Genesis. It, it continues in Revelation. The fear of the Lord is essential an understanding of the fear of the Lord is even essential in order to have a right relationship with God. We read of the fear of the Lord all over the place, and it's something as parents that we're even tasked with teaching our children. Parenting involves training our children to um, fear the Lord. And yet, as one pastor, and uh, Dan Phillips, he's a pastor in Texas, he, he's written a lot on this subject, and he says the following, and I agree with him. Regarding the fear of the Lord, he says, the concept of the fear of the Lord is more often mouthed than understood. And I can identify with that. You know, it's such a big subject, and yet if you're kind of pressed, explain to me what it means to fear the Lord. You know, we, we're more, it's more easily mouthed than it is, you know, understood. And so my aim this morning would be that we might increase in our understanding of, of what it means to fear the Lord. And I certainly think Psalm 112 is going to help us with that, leave us with a right understanding. And I pray that that right understanding might actually motivate us towards growth in godliness. And so we'd leave here better worshipers of God in light of our fear of the Lord. So, Still aren't ready to get into the psalm, though, yet. Uh, before, before we jump in there, I want to do a little bit more digging on this subject so that we kind of jump into Psalm 112 with, with an awareness of what we're talking about as we discuss the fear of the Lord. And, and I do want you, if you're able to, to um, turn to some of these cross-references. Let's just walk through a few passages that, that add to a greater understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. So we'll begin in Hebrews 10, because I believe this might actually be what comes to mind uh, very quickly when we begin to think about what are we talking about when we say that we fear the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. So um, what have I done wrong here? I'm looking for the consuming fire uh, passage in Hebrews And it is not 28 and 29. Can you say that a little louder? Thank you. Hebrews 12. Thank you so much. I will buy you lunch. <laughs> um, Hebrews 12, in my notes, I put chapter 10, but let's read verses 28 and 29 of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So as you read in Hebrews 12 about God as a consuming fire, you're mindful of this reverence and awe that indicate a fear of the Lord. There also is this recognition that that the fear of the Lord, in fact, does involve fear. 
It involves reverence. It involves awe. And you see all of those right responses there in, this, in these verses because our acceptable worship before God is to be done with reverence and awe. That is what it is to fear the Lord. We approach Him reverently. We approach Him with awe. Um, and the reason we do so is because our God is a consuming fire. And so fear of the Lord certainly involves fear, terror, but it also involves reverence and awe, and it involves more than just that as well. Turn over to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, hopefully, uh, verse 13, adds to our understanding of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says the following, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. So, as you jump into a theme of the fear of the Lord, and you start to think, what do the scriptures mean as God calls us to fear the Lord? And you read this in Hebrews, well, fearing the Lord involves revering his name. Awe in light of his great wondrous deeds, our, our awe, our right response of awe in light of who God is. And this right awareness of the, the, the terror to fall into the hands uh, of this God. If, we're on the, if we are not in a right relationship with him, there is terror there. So you have reverence, awe, fear. But then also here in Proverbs chapter 8, we're mindful that to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And so if, if you fear the Lord, you love the things that he loves, you hate the things that he hates, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is also a love of holiness. Uh, so it's a hatred of evil, but a, a desire for and love for holiness. Uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Fear of the Lord is reverence, awe. Fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Fear of the Lord also is pursuit of holiness. And so in 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you see this statement in regards to holiness. Um, since, verse 1, we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So what it is for someone to fear the Lord is for that fear of the Lord to cultivate within them holiness. That's how that verse ends. Uh, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Well, this next verse is just gonna be monumental then in our awareness of what it means to fear the Lord. Because I think often when we think of something, an object that we would fear, our inclination in regards to something that we fear is to avoid something that we fear, to draw back from something that we fear. And Psalm 130 is actually going to, to say something much different than that. Turn to Psalm 130, verses three and four. Such an important passage for us to know, such an important passage for us to take great comfort in, 
Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I mean, the awareness of the psalmist here is to think of the, the holiness of God, the character of God, and to recognize, man, if, if you marked iniquities, I mean, who could stand in your presence? Our sin is an offense against God. We cannot approach him rightly. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And then verse 4 says, but with you there is forgiveness. What a wonderful reality to know that our sins can be forgiven. And so then what does that awareness of forgiveness of our sins produce in us? The second half of verse 4 is, is, is almost counterintuitive in, in our fleshly minds. Look at what verse 4 says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In light of the fact that God forgives sin, our response is not to take sin less seriously, to take God less seriously. Our response in the fact that God has forgiven sin, made forgiveness available, the fact that God forgives sin draws us to fear him. He's that holy that he can have nothing to do with sin, that he made a provision through the Son, sent his Son to die in our place to pay for our sin so that we could have a right relationship with him. And so because there is forgiveness, that prompts in us a fear of the Lord. And so it's not actually that we would draw back away from that which we fear. It's that we, are, we draw near to God because our sins have been forgiven. And it's so much of an ability to draw near to God in light of this fear that even it's described by, uh, in another psalm as, as friendship with God. Turn back to Psalm 25, and, and I'll, I'll use this as, as my last one before we jump into the psalms. Psalm 25, before we jump into Psalm 112, Psalm 25 says the following. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. It's really quite beautiful to think about. Um, you know, those Assyrians, they, they feared the lion. They feared the God who sent the lion. But there was no fear of God in a biblical sense. It was just terror for them. But the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom that we'll read about today is a fear that produces in us reverence. It produces in us awe. It is our right response in light of forgiveness. It is um, a response that cultivates in us humility. It's a response in us that actually places us into friendship with God. Isn't that amazing? In 2514, the friendship of the Lord, writes David, is for those who fear him. So it doesn't push us away from God. The fear of the Lord actually brings us into relationship with him because he is faithful. He has made known to us his covenant. So the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Well, in light of this, we could go elsewhere and even add to what the scriptures would have to say about the fear of the Lord, but I think you are ready to respond the way that the psalmist responds in Psalm 112 as he considers the fear of the Lord. It is a prompt for praise. As we were singing this morning, there was so much about God and who he is and what he's done that prompts us to praise. And Psalm 112 reminds us that one of the other 
prompts for praise is the fact that um, God is a consuming fire, that we ought to fear the Lord. And that fear of the Lord is motivation for praise. So you read in verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. A proper understanding, though, of this psalm is going to require that we go back and forth between what we read in Psalm 112 and what we've already read in Psalm 111, because they are very much connected to each other. Even if you look at them right now, if you're, I wonder if you're able to see them on the same page. And my Bible actually have to turn pages on your phones. You're certainly going to have to scroll. But if you're looking, you know, on on a on a in a Bible that has them both on the same page, I think you're really going to benefit from this because there, there are so many similarities between these two psalms. As you look at them, they're very much similar in length. If you look at Psalm 111, you'll notice you know, 22 lines. If you look in Psalm 112, the, the same amount of lines. And it's in English, so we miss this, but what's going on in those 22 lines is in both Psalm 111 and 112 is an acrostic poem. So, so each of these lines, the first word in the line walks through the Hebrew alphabet. So both in 111 and 112, you have these acrostic poems that are going on. And you'll note that within both of the Psalms, there are very similar phrases that are given. They both begin, praise the Lord. They both deal with the fear of the Lord. They both speak of righteousness that endures forever. I mean, look at that. They're both in the same spot in verse 3. 3b, his righteousness endures forever. But as we walk through this text, you're going to see there's a very big distinction between verse 3 of 111 and verse 3 of 112. So both, you see grace, grace and mercy on display, trustworthiness, uprightness. These are the phrases and themes that fill both Psalm 111 and 112. They both deal with the fear of the Lord. One begins with the fear of the Lord and the other ends with the fear of the Lord, but they both start out the same. Praise the Lord. But here's what's distinct about Psalm 111 from Psalm 112. Who are we talking about in Psalm 111? It focuses on the works of God. As you walk through the text, it's talking about the works of, the God, uh, of God. As you move into Psalm 112, though, this, this um, reflection of Psalm 111, but Psalm 112 is talking about the God-fearer you're reading about the characteristics of the God-fearer. You're not talking about God. You're talking about those who worship God rightly. And so this really is a lesson in itself. Just to recognize this awareness between these two psalms teaches us something. It's teaching us that those who fear the Lord reflect the character of God. So I think it's, I'm kind of, you know, spoiling a surprise here, but it's almost shocking to look at Psalm 112, 3b, if you were just to jump right in, point and click, his righteousness endures forever, who are we talking about? Well, I think the assumption right away would be, well, it's God. But as we're going to see, this is actually going to be something that is speaking to um, a blessing of those who fear the Lord. Verse 4b, he's gracious, merciful, righteous. Who does that sound like? Well, that sure sounds like God. 
Well, it, it is. That's what Psalm 111 says. But Psalm 112 is telling us grace, gracious, merciful, and righteous, that's to characterize the God-fearer. So really think, uh, what a wonderful reality just to recognize. As we walk through Psalm 112, we're recognizing that those who fear the Lord reflect the character of God. And so with all of this as, as um, preparation for thinking upon this subject, I think we're ready to jump into the text. And I think I, even our intro ought to be the last verse of Psalm 111. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So it makes sense to us that that psalm would end with praise. It makes sense that it would begin with praise. It has, it's filled with praise because it's filled with God. Psalm 111 talks about the works of God, his righteousness, his graciousness, his mercy, the fact that he provides, the fact that he remembers those who he's covenanted with, the fact that he's all-powerful, the fact that he's holy and awesome. That's his name. Holy and awesome is his name. So we're right to praise him. But then as we move into Psalm 112, this also fuels our praise. Praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for the godliness that is brought about in the life of those who fear the Lord. That's going to be the lesson from this psalm. The list of characteristics of the godly that are provided in this psalm give us something to sing about. And why they give us something to sing about is because it's something to praise God for. And the reason that it's something to praise God for is because this is work that God does in the life of a believer. To read through the characteristics of those who fear the Lord is to read through the work that God does in and through us. And so just follow through. Let's, let's read this psalm and then walk through much of it. Psalm 112 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. And then if I could just interject real quick, then a dramatic change here. The polar opposite of those who fear the Lord uh, is then given in verse 10. The wicked, the wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. What a wonderful psalm. Let's, let's explore it just a little bit. And in verse 1, it begins just mindful of the fact that those who fear the Lord are blessed. We need this reminder. There are many 
Beatitudes in the Scripture. You know, we're most familiar with, with Jesus' teaching and the Sermon on the Mount as you read through those Beatitudes. But there are Beatitudes all throughout Scripture. In fact, Psalms, the book, um, Psalms has a lot to say about the blessings from God. There's almost 30 Beatitudes within the Psalms. And here in, in Psalm 12, we find one. Um, Surely God is good to those who fear him. God blesses those who respond rightly to him, who fear him. His blessings abound in many ways. And I think sometimes we're tempted not to believe this. Is it worth it? Is this, is this really, um, am, I, am I experiencing God's blessings? You know, these are the kind of doubts that we find ourselves tempted to think often, but this psalm just enters at the beginning reminding us, indeed, God is good to those who fear him. He blesses those who fear him. It's to our benefit that we're reminded of this because we need reminders often. I think in this sinful world that we live in, we're often tempted to, to question, question this. Um, the world around us tempts us to view our fear of the Lord as outdated. Those who fear the Lord are bigoted. Those who fear the Lord are judgmental. Those who fear the Lord are on the wrong side of history. These are the kind of statements that, that are thrown at us as Christians, as God-fearers. This would be the view that the world would, would take in regards to our convictions. And so this psalm is a corrective to those temptations to, 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 be, to, to identify with these statements that the world makes, to, to question whether or not we really ought to view things the way God views them. And so this psalm is a corrective to such temptations. Those who fear the Lord indeed are blessed. It is indeed the right path. The fear of the Lord is absolutely the way of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Uh, In the end, it's a matter of life and death. In the end, the difference between the fear of the Lord and the wicked is everlasting life for those who fear him and eternal judgment Death, hell, is what awaits the wicked. And so the temptations we often face, you know, might make us think that we're missing out by abstaining from life's pleasures, from the benefits that, that others might think they experience. Um, but we recognize the true blessing comes from fearing the Lord. Satan has always tried to tempt us to think that fearing the Lord is uh, missing out on, on uh, what's best. It's been his battle plan from Genesis 3 on. And Psalm 112 helps us battle Satan's lies by saying, no, in fact, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And who is the man who fears the Lord? Well, Psalm 112 tells us it's the man who greatly delights in his commandments. The man who fears the Lord is twice referred to as upright in this psalm. The man who fears the Lord, his righteousness endures forever. The man who fears the Lord um, is characterized by many other godly attributes that we'll see as we walk through. And, And the psalmist proclaims that this man indeed is blessed. So the man who fears the Lord is blessed. So perhaps the definition then of the fear of the Lord. Derek Kidner, he provides the following short and concise and helpful definition of the fear of the Lord. He says, the fear of the Lord is the relationship which in the most positive of senses puts us securely in our place 
and God in his. I find that helpful. We're thinking, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, someone who fears the Lord, the fear of the Lord is talking about that relationship that puts us securely in our place and God in his. So somebody who fears the Lord has a right view of God and has an accurate view of self as well. And I, that definition is great to me. Even if, if we, as we walked through some of those passages earlier, think how all those match up with this definition. Or better said, how this definition matches up with all of those verses. To think of um, putting us securely in our place, that requires humility. That requires um, holiness. That requires uh, reverence and awe. To, to put God in his place, so too does that require reverence and awe. Uh, we're just seeing that the fear of the Lord speaks of this relationship that puts us securely in our place and puts God in his. And that view, that worldview, leads to blessing. Psalm 112 is not the only place that talks about blessings that come from the fear of the Lord. Uh, we certainly wouldn't have time to turn to these, but I'll just rapid fire tell you a few from Proverbs. Other blessings for those who fear the Lord. Proverbs tells us in chapter 1 that it's the beginning of um, knowledge. Proverbs 9 tells us it's the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 10 tells us that the fear of the Lord leads to long life. And that's an interesting one to even think through. I mean, as, as um, this is in Proverbs, you know, they would even, you'd be thinking like Mosaic law, there would be certain um, things that uh, someone who doesn't fear the Lord, they would do certain things that would lead to death. You know, um, but even in our own lives, we recognize those who fear the Lord that, that can prolong life by the wise and godly decisions that are made. Um, and also, just spiritually speaking, we're recognizing the eternal life that those who fear the Lord experience. So, so blessings abound in fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And those are distinct. You know, wisdom is knowledge applied. Fear of the Lord is, it leads to long life. Fear of the Lord leads to discipline, Proverbs tells us in chapter 15. If we're thinking of who God is, what he's done, what he's going to do, and our right response is to view um, us securely in our place and put God in his place, it's, gonna, it's going to affect our decisions. We're going we're to be disciplined for our uh, sinful acts. Fear of the Lord leads to discipline. So as we continue through in this passage, there's another blessing that we find even in Psalm 112. In addition to all that I just listed in Proverbs, look at the blessing that awaits those who fear the Lord in verse 2. Verse 2 tells us, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And have you noticed, you know, that's not necessarily the view that many in the world take today. I mean, I, I've, I've seen commercials recently that just confront us with this, this implied reality that children are an inconvenience, so avoid them, whether it's like a cell phone provider, whether it's a hotel, trying to encourage you to, to travel to their hotel. There's all sorts of messages that, that children are not a blessing that's, that's often the message the world gives us. But here in, Prov in Psalm 112, we're told children are a blessing. Children are a blessing to those who fear the Lord. Um, and while raising a family is certainly hard work, that does not mean that it's not God's good plan. Because indeed, it is a blessing. 
and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here the psalmist writes that, that a blessing of godly parenting, not only just having children is a blessing, but a blessing of fearing the Lord in your parenting, generally speaking, leads to generational blessing on those who fear him. This is not a promise. This is a general truth. And the scriptures are not hesitant to speak to these general truths that godly parenting often leads to godly children. I mean, we know that there are exceptions. We've experienced exceptions in our own lives, but, but the scriptures are not silent about this general truth. Proverbs 22, 6, the way I understand it as I read it, says that train up a child according to his own way. Even when he's old, he will not depart. I mean, that's not a promise, but that certainly communicates this truth. And this truth is that parenting matters. Parenting matters so much that even in the New Testament, one of the qualifications for elders is that they would um, raise faithful children. I don't see this referring to believing children. I mean, God alone does that work of salvation. But it does call pastors to manage their household well through faithful parenting. And so I think what you're seeing here in Psalm 112 is saying, the blessing upon those who fear the Lord is his offspring will be mighty in the land and the generation of the upright will be blessed. But don't panic here because the psalmist also is just as comfortable uh, speaking later, look down at verse 7. He's just as truthful here to balance this reality out. Uh, those who fear the Lord, they're blessed. They're, they're, generally speaking, their offspring will be mighty in the land. Uh, generally speaking, the generation of the upright will be blessed. But look down at verse 7 of reality for those who fear the Lord. They are going to face difficult things. They are going to face bad news. And so, so I think what you're seeing here is there are indeed hard, painful, difficult, bad trials that fall on the God-fearer. So verse 2 is not promising godly children because godly parents often face bad news. But you are seeing that generally speaking, a blessing from God on those who fear the Lord is his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. What a, what a comforting motivation for our parenting. There's so many kids in our church. There's so many families. And I just hope that our, our parents are, are motivated to pursue faithful parenting and trusting themselves to their faithful creator to save their kids, but, but mindful of their responsibility to train their, their children to fear the Lord, recognizing that their children are responsible to listen to their parents. And then stepping back and mindful of the reality that God is sovereign over all of it. So parenting is not a formula. But, but in the goodness and wisdom of God, he often um, blesses our efforts with offspring who are mighty in the land, the generation of the upright that will be blessed. So I find those verses to be comforting in our, in our motivation for parenting. We'll move on down then to a verse that I've already referenced. It's in, in verse 3. And I think it's very significant to think about this passage. Uh, you know, I've already said, you'd, first upon reading 3b, you'd think, and his righteousness endures forever, is talking about God. But uh, that's not actually what's taking place here. Those who fear the Lord resemble him. Those who fear the Lord, their righteousness endures forever. Those who fear the Lord are gracious, merciful, and righteous. 
Those who fear the Lord resemble God. To fear the Lord is to grow in godliness. That's what it means to be godly, is to, is to act like God. I mean, there is no one like our God. We know this to be true. Absolutely, God alone is infinitely holy. He is um, immutable. He is eternal. There is no one like our God. We see that throughout the scriptures. But at the same time, we are called as Christians to be holy. And what's our motivation for being holy? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. This speaks to a subject in systematic theology that we would often refer to as, in dealing with the character of God, to refer to both the, the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God. Communicable being those attributes that he shares with us. Incommunicable, those attributes that are non-shared. I mean, it sounds like technical words. They're not actually all that foreign to us. I mean, if you walk up to the nursery and you have a communicable disease, it's like no entry, right? Because you can share that virus with one of the other kids and then other parents will share. So communicable diseases, you know, can be shared. But then there's also non-communicable diseases that, um, that are not shared, so, so we know those words, and here when we talk about the character of God, it's the, it, those words say the same thing. There are certain things about God that, that can be shared with God's people. There are other attributes that are true only of God. And so I'll, I'll refer to a historic catechism just to kind of help us wrap our minds around this because I think we're seeing it here in Psalm 112. There are attributes of God that were listed in Psalm 111 that are to be shared by the God-fearer in Psalm 112. And so, question number four in the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is God? And the answer that is given is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. I love that definition not because it's exhaustive. It's not. We could say more about God. But when you're answering, who is God? What is God? And you're saying, God is infinite. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. Those are attributes that are true of God alone. But then, as the definition continues, you're seeing that God is infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably all of his perfections. And so these other perfections that are listed are shared attributes. But God is perfectly those things, eternally those things, infinitely those things, unchangeably those things. But they're attributes that are shared with us. And so we're called to be wise. We're to grow in wisdom. We're called to power. We, we do things that exercise dominion and power over the things, but we are not all powerful. We grow in knowledge, but we are not all knowing. You know, we are to be just like God is just. We are to be good because God is good. We are to be truthful because God is a God of truth. So we are not infinitely these things, but we share in these things. And so that's what I believe the psalmist is interacting with here. Look at the attributes that are shared by the God-fearer. If you just walk through the verses, uh, righteousness is listed, gracious, mercy, uh, look, at, look at verse 5. 
Just as much as you saw in Psalm 111 that God provides for our every need, Psalm 112 tells us that those who have the every need provided for them are then to go and deal generously with those who they interact with. So God is generous to us. He provides our every need, and we are to be generous to others. God is just. Verse 5 um, reminds us that we're to be just. Um, on and on we could go with these attributes that are true of God that are to be true of us as well. So I find that to be of great significance to think through if the characteristics of those who fear the Lord are characteristics of God. And so we are to resemble God. Just as Psalm 111 and 112 reflect one another, we are to reflect the character of God. Well, because uh, of, of time, I want to jump down to verse 7. I love verse 7. I believe verse 7 will be a great comfort to all of us this morning to, to think through a characteristic of those who fear the Lord, but certainly a blessing of those who fear the Lord. Verse 7 tells us, those who fear the Lord, the man who fears the Lord, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. I, mean, I, I, really, I know this to be true, but I, do, I, I wonder how many of us in this room or in a season where you just feel like so much of what you're hearing, so much of what you're dealing with, so much of what you're responding to is bad news. You know, it's just life is hard. So many things that we have to deal with that are difficult. And Psalm 112, 7 says that God fears not afraid of bad news. I mean, we all interact with all sorts of unfortunate events, all sorts of things that remind us that we're not in control, that we're not sovereign, um, all sorts of things that require wisdom in responding in godly ways. I mean, if you turn on the news, you're going to read a lot of bad news. You know, trains derailing, toxic chemicals leaking, unidentified balloons flying, you know, chickens struggling to lay eggs. I mean, on and on, these bad news. But then on a more serious level, when you think of what, what is said after verse 7, you know, he's not afraid of bad news, but look at, look at 7b, when it says, his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. There, there's very much, very serious, weighty bad news that, that falls on the godly, that tempts them not to trust in God. And so that's what I think you're seeing in this verse. I mean, so many have been afflicted there's painful things that we're dealing with, heartbreaking outcomes that tempt us to doubt the goodness of God. But the in thinking rightly, our right response to the fear of the Lord is firm conviction, trust in the Lord. Our heart is steady. And in fact, God does that work. Uh, even in, in verse eight, when it says his heart is steady, that's work that God does in us. We're, we're passive in that statement of our heart being steady. God does that work in us. Our hearts are firm. When I fear my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. God does this work in us so that we do not have to be afraid of bad news. Our right response to everything is trust. Our hearts can be firm, trusting in the Lord. 
And our kids, they, they watch a news program most weekdays. Um, they do it usually at lunch, and on certain days I get to be home for it, and so I'll watch, watch the news with them. And, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's a, I'm given from a Christian perspective. And the host signs off at the end of every episode uh, by saying the following. He always says, And remember, whatever the news, the purpose of the Lord will stand. I mean, that's, that's Psalm 112.7 right there to think of. Whatever the news, whatever, bad news, good news, funny news, gross news, you know, whatever the news, God's in control. The purpose of the Lord will stand. And so the God-fearer, whatever the news, even if he's going to honestly call it bad news, those who fear the Lord don't fear the news. Um, that's, that's very significant. Whatever the news, the purpose of the Lord will stand. Whate'er my God ordains is right, his holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er he does and follow where he guides. God fear is not afraid of bad news. He trusts in the Lord. Let's just read through the rest here. Verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Again, the generosity of the God-fearer. He's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. Again, his righteousness endures forever. You do understand, I think we've prayed this way already today, but I want to make sure it's clear as you read this, the righteousness that endures forever is a righteousness that is credited to us. Those who are in a right standing with God are righteous not because of their own effort, but because of a righteousness that is outside of themselves. God is holy. God is righteous. We are sinful and our sin has separated us from God. And our only hope, the only way to be brought into a right relationship with him is if we place our faith in Christ who lived a perfect life, died in our place, paid for our sin. And so for those who trust in him, they are forgiven of their sins. Their sins are wiped away and they are credited with Christ's righteousness. And so if we have Christ's righteousness in us. We're in a right standing with God, and this righteousness endures forever. That's what is told to us twice in Psalm 112. The, the man who fears the Lord has a righteousness that endures forever. What wonderful news for those who are in a right relationship with God. His horn is exalted in honor. Because of, of time, let me just read verse 10 and respond real quickly because you do see here the opposite of the fear of the Lord. The wicked man sees it. So all of these blessings that are given on those who fear the Lord. Earlier I was trying to say many in the world try and, and, and deny that these in fact are blessings, but, but they know in their heart of hearts um, that in the, the conscience that God has given them and the general revelation that has been revealed to them, they know uh, and observe and see um, God's blessing upon the righteous and they're angry about it. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. He remains angry about it. It's not like he's judged in his sin and then is in agreement with God like, man, great decision. You're right. Uh, I'm wicked. No, they continue in the rebellion against God, gnashing their teeth, melting away. The desire of the wicked will perish. What a contrast. The fear of the Lord, righteousness endures forever for those who fear the Lord. The wicked, 
their desires will perish and they too will perish, separated from God, judged for eternity in hell. Romans 3, as Paul describes the total depravity of sinful man, of every human being apart from Christ, he includes the following indictment. In fact, he ends this whole list of uh, this indictment with, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the very basis for man's total depravity. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so Psalm 112 is, is contrasting here the way of wisdom with the way of folly. Verse 1 through 9 is committed to the way of wisdom in those who fear the Lord. And verse 10 shows us the polar opposite. Those who are the wicked, who are at enmity with God, who remain in rebellion against God, and they will perish. But for those who trust in the Lord, those who fear the Lord, those who are in a right relationship with the Lord, they will spend eternity with God. Their, um, the righteousness, their righteousness will endure forever. May our church be characterized by those who fear the Lord. I think that used to be you know, a descriptor for, for Christians. You know, we'd refer to people that were, were God-fearing men, God-fearing women. What, what a helpful statement. And um, these passages today hopefully help us wrap our minds around what we're even discussing uh, as we talk of this subject. May God be glorified as we entrust ourselves to him in light of our fear of him. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that we can gather. God, we, we approach you um, reverently. We uh, are mindful that the only basis for approaching you in a right way is because of forgiveness of sin that is made available through the person and work of Christ. God, what a wonderful reminder it is to walk through this text and to be reminded of all sorts of ways that you bless the godly. God, we're called to reflect your character. So I pray that would be true of us. May we, as a church, um, put you on display. May we, as individuals, reflect your character. God, as parents in this congregation, may we train up our children to fear the Lord. Could we prayerfully approach our parent parenting, desiring to see you save our children, we recognize they're a blessing, um, and, and just desire that you would bless us by saving our children. God, I pray that you would continue to be glorified in the life of this church as we entrust ourselves to you. We don't fear the news because of our fear of you. We trust you. So God, be glorified through our trust. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.